Welcome back to Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. It was 21 years ago this month that the hilarious Brit flick East is East appeared in cinemas across the UK and around the world. And today, we're continuing our celebrations of the film's birthday with another interview with one of the movie's stars. This time, Ashley's been speaking to Leslie Nicholl, who played Auntie Annie. Leslie, it's a delight to talk to you um, from America. Now, East is East, of course, goes back um, 21 years to the film itself. But, of course, it was a theatre production before then, and you were involved right from the beginning, weren't you? Yes, it was a weird one, because I was doing a TV series called Staying Alive, and um, Ayub Khan-Din, who, of course, wrote East is East, was in it. I was playing a nurse, and he was playing a doctor. And one day uncharacteristically of Ayub because he's quite a larger-than-life bloke and lots of fun. And But he came up to me rather shyly one day and he said, look, I've got a script. I know, I'd like you to read it. All right, now, you don't have to do it, but, you know, just thought I'd let you see it. So, <laughs> so he shoved it under my door at the hotel and I read it and it was the play East is East, which they had a production plan for it. And he said, uh, look at Auntie Annie. So I read it and I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it's just a dream of a thing and I um again quite uncharacteristically of me in those days anyway I rather boldly said well I think it's fantastic I hope it's really good but there's only one problem and he said well I said Auntie Annie needs at least one more scene <laughs> so he went oh all right then and he wrote me he, he said, when did it so um so yeah so then we did the play and um it was a huge point in my life, actually, yeah. Now, a lot of people will think of the film because it was such a phenomenal success. Um, but, of course, the play w- was different, wasn't it? And you and Linda's characters had a sort of bigger role, didn't you? Because in the theatre production, you're sort of telling the story, really, aren't you? Well, we are. It's true, actually. The film wasn't strictly the same as, as the play. I mean, it was a different beast altogether, obviously, because it was a film. And it had different strengths and compared to the play but there there were there were longer scenes between mum and auntie annie and i think it's because when we did the play for instance we we did a little tour a regional tour before we did it uh, in london and one of the places we went to was salford and um we got to meet ayub's family and in the case of Auntie Annie, there wasn't one Auntie Annie, because the whole story, I should say, the whole story is based on Ayub's family. He was the little one, the twi- the one with the twitch. He was like Sajit in real life. Uh, they wouldn't take his parker off. I mean, that's that was Ayub. So I met, terrifyingly, I met five women who he'd based Auntie Annie on. So they were like a bunch of really strong Salford women, you know. So So he knew a lot about, how those women talk and how they think. I mean, and that's why it's, the writing's so brilliant. And, you know, he writes so well for those women um, because cause it was based on all his own personal family and, and friends. Um, and, and so, yeah, so he used a lot more of that in the play than he did in the film. But, of course, you'd be familiar with some of those women because you grew up just down the road from where East is East was based, didn't you? Exactly. I was brought up in Earlham, Earlham and Caddishead, in case people are confused, because they often go, oh, yes, Earlham are fights. And you go, no, <laughs> Earlham and Caddishead, which is like one down from Salford. Yeah. 
In fact, we had a Salford overspill, I seem to remember. They, they built a load of new houses. So, so you're right. I was surrounded by those kind of women as I grew up there. Um, so it feels very familiar to me, yeah. Now, East is East, of course, is, is you know, there's a, a lot of seriousness at its heart. But there's also a bit of comedy as well, isn't there? Quite a bit of comedy. You know, these women we're talking about uh, had tough lives. You know, these women are salt of the earth, but they do also come with a degree of comedy as well, don't they? God, yes, yes. Which is which is fantastic to play, and if you get a good writer like I hope, you know it's a gift really. I, I've there was a there was a line in the film where Auntie Annie's shouting at a neighbour who's been giving her a hard time. Well, there's a woman who says, "Will you keep the noise down? My husband's on nights," and she all the, all she says is, "Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow." And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. And it's one that people really remember. I mean, they do. <laughs> Years later, people go, oh, you did that. Frig often. <laughs> it's, it's just, it comes with the territory. They're just, they're tough because they have to be, as a, you know, as a rule, because things are not easy. That's not on a plate for them. But yeah, they do it with a fantastic amount of humour, which is just the best to, to play as an actor, you know. Now, I was born uh, in 1972, and this, of course, was around 70, 71, wasn't it, when it was set? Um, but the great thing about it was the authenticity of that. You know, the, the, the little boy with his space hopper and the, 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 the street scenes and things. You're transported back to the 1970s, and, and of course, the little boy uh, as well with his uh, Parker coat. It all added to it, didn't it? I mean, I remember as a kid in Earlham, we have, used to have something called Walking Day. And I, d- I think pe- different people have different names for it. But, you know, those processions that you'd go from Sunday school hanging on to a piece of ribbon and holding a bunch of flowers and that, you know. I mean, all those things. That, and that's the beginning of the film, I seem to remember, is that. And they've got a wonky crucifix at the at the front and all the Muslim kids have joined in. I mean, it's it's just lovely. And it's it, that's why it works, you see, because the, at the centre of it, I suppose, without being too poncy, it's true. It's all true. The relationships were true, and and because of that, it it meant an enormous amount to a lot of people. What you're talking about there about those walks was there was wit walks quite often in a lot of areas across the north, and then where I grew up in Yorkshire, uh, there were what we call pit week and sort of pit walks and things like that. But what was interesting was that Salford, unlike say Bradford, didn't actually have a particularly big. Asian community at the time, did it? And of course, that was a sort of contrast for that community, a departure for that community. And your character sort of represented that, didn't she? Because she was sort of the the outsider in the story. And and looking in, you were looking in on this family in a way. Totally. And and in real life, I think Ayub's dad, who was Pakistani, and I think he might have been one of the very first Asian people to come and live in that community and what what I think speaks volumes and is wonderful is that Annie and in real life Annie and her gang all completely accepted them I mean there wasn't any problem whatsoever they were firm friends they supported each other they were united together there was no question of because they were different there was the problem that just wasn't how it was they were totally supported and if there was any you know racism going down they'd be on it like Flynn, you know. Yeah, I think the thing about your character, uh, yours and Linda's characters, was that there was a sort of chemistry there. I know you'd obviously worked together in the theatre production as well as the film, um, but there was a sort of... You, you could tell that the the characters had some history together. There was a... You know, the, 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 there was something else 
other than what was on the surface and what was happening. That you know, there's a lot of um, depth to them, which I think um, shone through. But in this instance, the backstory was definitely there. Yeah, well, it's interesting because when we got together doing the play, n- not that all the kids in the play were in the film, there was a bit of change of, of cast, which was quite hard to begin with, actually, because we were really solid. Because it's about a family, this often happens when you do plays and stuff, you rehearse it and you become a family. And and there was a dynamic in that rehearsal room and, and when we went on tour and then when we did the play in, in the West End, there was a there was a dynamic of Linda was like a mum figure. I, I was called Auntie G because that's how they would refer to Auntie, you know. And, and there was a really strong unit kind of feeling about it and one of the sweetest things I'll never forget this they were such gorgeous young actors this gang and Jim Jimmy and I'm saying this because I'd never met actors who would have done what I'm about to say Jimmy Mystery who was in it when we were in Birmingham he would come home with me on the bus to make sure I got home safely now I'd never come across any younger actors who would necessarily think to do that but they were just we had a very, very strong bond. And then in the film, it was different, you know, because you, you don't spend as much time together, but it was still a family unit. It, it did feel very, very, very bonded together. And I think you, you're right, you know, you sort of smell it, you see it on the screen and you, you feel there's a real proper connection there because it is real, yeah. And who came over then from the theatre performance to the film in terms of the kids? Jimmy came over. Chris Bisson was, of course, in both, wasn't he? Of course, Chris Bisson, me and Linda. And it was and it was nothing to do, by the way, of people's ability. It was sometimes about age. Um, it's just that in the play, you can, you can play young on stage, but you can't get away with it on screen. And for the same reason, Nadim Sawala was the dad in the play, and he was terrific. He was absolutely terrific, but he wasn't able to do the film because he's Jordanian, you know. And so they got on Puri, who is a different kind of marvellous, you know. But but that was, it was sad, you know, because we loved Nadine. We were very, very close. But, you know, that those things matter when you're on the screen. So you have to get it right. And the little boy was different as well, wasn't he, I think? Yeah, the little boy was different, yes. Again, for the same reason, just the age thing. I think the boy in the in the play was older and you couldn't really get away with it on, on you know when you're close up like that. It's been on our tellies for six decades and we're big fans here at Distinct Nostalgia. And we're so passionate about our love for Corrie that we've put together some real treats for our listeners as we delve into the show's history this December. And we're supposed to be both at university. And uh, he was trying to sort of break out of this little backstreet world to better himself, really. It wasn't usual for people from some street like Coronation Street to go to university. He, he changed the mode. And of course, people were in those times. They were beginning to go to university. We're right back to the very first episode with Ken Barlow's very first girlfriend and Alan Rothwell, who played Ken's brother, David Barlow. Coronation Street went out live to start with. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that was terrifying. Yes, yeah. You had to do a half an hour 
of television. Yeah, so get it right. And get it right, yeah. 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 Staying in the 60s, and Kenneth Cope tells us how wooing Violet Carson, Ina Sharples, landed him a role in the show as Minnie Caldwell's lodger, Sonny Jim. She got me under the viaduct and started shouting at me, pointing a finger, pointing a finger and saying, get out, go away from here. People like you, 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 you don't deserve to be here. Get out and never come back, never come out. Go away, go away, go away. And our heads got closer and closer and closer. So there's a slight pause and I said, give us a kiss. And it just brought the house down, everybody. The whole crew just laughed their heads off. From our own archives, we bring you never-before-broadcast anecdotes from Jean Alexander and Betty Driver. It was Ina Sharples, Margot Bryant uh, that played Minnie Caldwell, me, Julie Goodyear, Jean Alexander that played Hilda Ogden, and we all used to be together and do scenes just of conversation, which I miss now. We should do more of that. Meanwhile, Amanda Barry and Chris Bisson remember their time on Coronation Street. I went in initially into the shop, Jim's Cafe, as it was then. I was invited in there to sack Pat Phoenix. Oh. <sighs> you know, I was, I was actually leading Lady in the West End, doing me bit, but actually going there to do... Now, you talk about nerves. She was the leading lady of Coronation oh, Street, wasn't she? But it wasn't that. It was that it was unreal. It was surreal. Everybody says it, and it's true. You're completely surreal to go into there and go... You couldn't concentrate. You were going, concentrate a man that is not else... It, it, is Elsie Turner, Elsie Turner. I'm talking to Elsie Turner. I don't know what I'm going to say next. I'm just step. This is what you do. It was like being, waking, being very in the middle of a dream, and you're going concentrate, Amanda. You are still supposedly an actress. Get on with it. Yeah. We'll also have interviews with Julie Hesmond, and Bruce Jones, and many more. And we've a very special dose of Distinct Nostalgia's Mind of the Month quiz, too, as we put Corrie's superfans to the test on their knowledge of those six decades, with some rather special guests asking some of the questions. Hello, I'm Thelma Barlow. Hello, I'm Stephen Arnold. I'm Philip Lowry. My name's Nick Cochran. Hi, I'm Martin Hancock. Hello, everybody, my name's Madge Hindle. Make sure you join us for all the fun, and don't forget to trawl our archives for loads of other Corrie interviews. Thelma Barlow, Steve Arnold, Nick Cochran, Chris Quinton, Chloe Newsom, Philip Lowry, Sherry Hewson, Madge Hindle, Martin Hancock, Tupeli Dorgu, stars from every decade of the world's longest-running drama serial. Celebrating Corrie at 60, this December, from Distinct Nostalgia. Now, I never saw a theatre performance, and I'm sure you had some great scenes in that, but you still had some brilliant scenes in East is East, the film, didn't you? But on a serious side, of course, Dad doesn't really like you, does he? He's a bit suspicious of, of Aunt Annie. That interfering friend, you know. They gang up on him, don't they? And he doesn't like it. <laughs> I mean, they laugh at him, and he won't... I mean, who likes to be laughed at? So I do see where he's coming from. I don't think he... I don't think it's he actively dislikes her. It's just she's an annoyance, because... She disturbs the balance, you know. If he's having a humdinger with, with the missus, she pipes up and it's it's irritating. And also, she's a woman. Shut up. You know, you should shut up. But she doesn't. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I grew up in Yorkshire, not in Lancashire. But, you know, I lived in a little square in Yorkshire. And, uh, 
you know, the 1970s, um, everyone knew each other's business. My mum had two or three friends who were always in each other's houses, having a gossip, having a cup of tea. And, it, you know, it has to be said, my dad wasn't like the dad in Easter's East, but, uh, you know, he would get fed up every now and again, you know, with all the women in there having a gas, you know. Nattering women, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's universal, actually, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of the comedy, of course, revolves around the little boy, doesn't it? And my favourite scene that you're in is the one where you and uh, uh, Mum are, are sort of uh, debating the whole subject of whether or not, he, you know, he's got his tickle tackle or not. He's been done or not, yes. <laughs> and she's got a fag in her mouth, which she doesn't take out. I <laughs> know. Oh, yeah. I mean, did you know there's a film that follows it called West is West? Yeah, well, that, that, that kind of gives you a picture of how close this family are, because in West is West, and this, again, is based on a true story, um, because Ayub, presumably, was being a bit of a pain. Uh, his dad took him to Pakistan to meet Mrs Khan number one. I mean, this happened. This little lad from Salford ended up in Blumen, Pakistan, not speaking a word with, with this woman he didn't know, in, dressed in his little, you know, suit, and just fish out of water. It was hopeless. But, uh, now I don't actually know if this did properly happen, but in the film anyway, Mum and Auntie Annie come out to get him back, to get Sajid back. And so, you know, it becomes very obvious that they would do anything for each other. That it, you know, it's... Auntie, Auntie Annie is not blood relative, but she might as well be. And, and again, you know, I, I hate to keep talking about my own life, but when I was growing up in the 1970s, I had several aunties who um, weren't aunties at all. They were just friends, mum's friends. We, we, we called them auntie and they were auntie forever, you know. They're there for life, aren't they? I mean, they're just yeah. they're part of your DNA and that's it, really. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, this was bizarrely, uh, when you think about it, because, you know, the, the Asian communities in the Pennines uh, have been around a long, long time. But this was the first time we'd actually really seen Asian families being depicted on our screens in, in, in such a big way, wasn't it? That's why it had such a big impact. Talk about good timing. It was just, it was a story that needed to be told. And that's why it was so important to specifically mixed race people because they never felt that they'd had their story explained. And even when we started rehearsing the play, the kids, as I call them, they're not kids now, but they, they would all explain what it was like to be not accepted by either community. That was the thing. I mean, being Asian is one thing, being, you know, Eng white English is another thing, but to be mixed race and have both communities rejecting you, possibly, not all the time, obviously, but, but it did happen, has its own set of problems. And these hadn't been talked about in, in a drama that was, you know, that's why it became so so successful, I think. And And also, because it's about a family, it did appeal to the mixed race community it obviously appealed to the asian community because there was a lot they could relate to and also anybody who's ever been in a family with a strict dad you know it, it rings bells for them too so it's it's a story that actually reaches all kinds of different people but specifically there were people would come up to mixed race people come up to me years after and say thank you. I mean, not that it was anything to do with me. I was just lucky enough to be in it. But thank you for for that because we needed that to be told, and it meant the world to us. And and also to make it something that was appealing to people. And the, and not only is it a serious underbelly, but it's funny and it's and you can relate to those kids and you can understand why George loses it. I mean, it's not never okay to hit a woman, of course, but you sort of get a glimpse of what a difficult time he was having 
what a terrible time Ella, the wife, was having at times, how much they totally love each other. I mean, it's, it's got all kinds of elements to it, it's, it, which is what makes it special, I think. Oh, I always go bang on about this, but it's true. No, no, none of us are one thing. We're all complicated. We all have issues and we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, the nice bits and the not-so-nice bits. We're all like that. You know, so so it, it rings bells sadly, with everyone. Sadly, we live in a binary world these days where, um, you know, everybody wants things to be one thing or the other, don't they? And uh, nuance doesn't uh, exist, really. And it's not um, how it is, no. And, of course, into that mix came a sprinkling of homosexuality as well, didn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. Because... And that, again, was a fact in Iob's family. Um, in fact, I believe... It's, is it just one of the kids? It's just one of the kids that's gay in the film, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, there were several in Iob's family. And they all went on, you know, to, to survive that because that must have been hell, you know. I think two two of the boys, now you'll understand this because you know the, 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 the area, but these boys literally ran away from Salford to Manchester and became hairdressers. Now, that's all of about a mile, isn't it? But, but that would be a different world because they were suddenly in a world where they were allowed to be who they were, you know, and... Yeah. and who can blame them, you know, but that, I don't even know how much the dad knew about that. But again, that's why it's an important factor in the story, because, again, it's based on on what really happened. But also, of course, you know, this was the early 70s, wasn't it? You know, and life was um, changing anyway. You know, we'd had the early 60s and the sexual revolution that appeared in certain places. And uh, uh, for other areas of the country other than London, it sort of emerged uh, in the sort of 1970s in a way. So, that was being depicted in terms of um, the cultural changes. And, of course, Chris's character shows that in all its glory, doesn't he, with his artwork? <laughs> I know, which is heaven, in it? It's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that must be true, too. I don't think he would have dreamed that one up. I mean, my mum, you know, she died last year, uh, but that was the funniest bit for her. She loved that. She, you know, <laughs> she played that over and over again. Now, of course, it's a lovely film, and of course, it, it did very, very well. I can't believe it's 21 years since it was first released. And it gets shown a lot, of course, all over the place. Yeah, yes. I do remember, sorry, I was just going to say, I do remember when they sold it to America. Now, you wouldn't really expect the Americans necessarily to get it. And indeed, they didn't, because I seem to remember on the poster, um, the dad had a fez on his head. <laughs> no, 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 that's not right. Did they have to actually remake it for America? No, 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 but they just, uh, I don't think it really caught on here particularly. I can see why, yeah. But you're right, it did It did sort of reach out around the world because it's a universal story, yeah. I mean, it didn't do badly here, but, you know, it's specific, isn't it, to, to, to England and to the north of England particularly, I suppose. Yeah, because, of course, the family, the, the, the children were, you know, Asian characters, but... Uh, you know, their, their dad was from Pakistan and all the rest of it. But essentially, these were these were northern, weren't they? And they wore the northernness on their sleeve, didn't they? Totally, yeah. And I think it's just fantastic that they're a bit naughty. I mean, they're frying up sausages when he, before he comes. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's what makes them all the more lovable, really, is that they're just northern kids. And, and why should they be treated like they're different? You know, because they're not. And of course, there was your character who was funny, and of course, there was also the uh, you know the the girl next door who, uh, yeah, <laughs> who, who who the dog takes a fancy to. That's a good point. Lots of sex in it. Now you mention it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those awful girls that all oh, those poor girls that um, they bring round for the arranged marriage. Oh, you've landed a couple of belters, haven't you? Um, 
they were two girls who weren't actual professional actors. They were, think, I don't know where they came from. But anyway, I do remember the funny thing about them is they were sat in makeup and they were putting bits of facial hair on them and making them look absolutely terrible. But they were very excited initially to be there. And then as the day wore on, as you know, filming can go on and on and on and it's, it's a long old do. And I remember them sitting there going, I mean, grumpy, really grumpy, because it's like, oh, I didn't think it was going to be like this. <laughs> they were very disappointed, I remember. Of course, the theatre performance went on for several years, but how long did the film take to make? I think we were at Ealing, I'm not sure. I think maybe we filmed it at Ealing, the interiors, so that would be a few weeks. And then, oh gosh, I remember, then we went up and did the exteriors, like the, 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 the street. You know, we had to go and find a proper terrace street. But a lot of those streets don't exist in Salford anymore, do they? Exactly, they don't. So they had to go and find one. And it was, yeah, and there it was, a genuine cobbled terrace street, like we all remember. But what I do remember about that is on Puri, of course, and sadly he's no longer with us, but he was a major star um, all over the world. I mean, internationally he was big, but in... In India, he was like Tom Cruise, Harrison Ford, whoever, top, 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 top dog. Um, I remember we were in a little hotel in Chatterton and he was a bit fed up with the food. So one night he slunk off and he thought, oh, I'll go and find myself a nice Indian. So he walked into a little Indian in Chatterton and they nearly died because it was like, what the heck is Tom Cruise doing in Chatterton, you know? <laughs> and because he was such a lovely man, I mean, he was he was a star, but he was kind and he was sweet and funny and nice to people. So, of course, they became his devoted slaves. I mean, they, they were just thrilled to pieces. So they would bring food to the hotel from him every day after that. But can you imagine, you know, the shock value of Ampere walking through the door in a very small little Indian restaurant outside of Oldham? The thing that always tickled me about him was that... Uh... His character always wanted a half a cup of tea, you know, half a cup, half a cup. I know we still say that in our house. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It did. I'll have half a cup. I mean, <laughs> and also I loved his accent. I don't know where he got that from, but that lovely mixture of kind of northern, which you hear now, don't you? You hear that kind of Asian-Northern mix. And it's great. It's more Northern than Asian. So, obviously, it was a, a great success, you know, uh, as a film, as a theatre production and, and a film. What do you think is the secret of its success? I mean, it did have those elements of that, that a lot of Brit flicks have, which is, of course, you know, a little bit of triumph over adversity that runs through it somewhere. Um, do you think that was part of it? It's usually something a lot, well, mainly to do with the writing, I think. You have to say, without the, without that script... That story could have gone badly wrong. But because I wrote it very well and because it came from his personal experience, all the details are properly authentic. And like I said before, people smell that. They do. And also, we were lucky enough to be in a cast that completely gelled, you know, and, and worked well together. But but again, none of that is anything without the words. No, no actor can do their job without without the word. So I would say it was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell, a timely story to tell because it hadn't been told before. And it was important, really important that people have a little glimpse of what it's like in that situation for those people, I think. Without being, 
you know, preachy or banging on about it. Just a really honest look at, and with lots of funny bits as well, but also a, a look at the sad, the sadder side of the story too. I think that's what's good about it. It covers all the bases, really. Yeah, it's a very complex film, and a film that I never tire of watching over and over and over again. I mean, I do like that people are conflicted, because you, you are, really. It's not all right that George lashes out. It's not all right. You can't ever say that's all right, however frustrated or whatever it is that makes him do that. It's not okay. But because Om played it with such soul, I, I think I defy anybody to not feel a slight pang of pity for him. And it's complicated because you're not, for one minute, sticking up for people beating up women. You're not. But you can't help but go, that, this is tragic, actually. <laughs> I mean, it is. And, and, and she, she's in the same position in the sense that it's not, it's not black and white. Like you said before, it's complicated. It's just complicated. Hello and welcome to The Likely Dads, a new series that looks at parenting from the paternal perspective. I'm always wary of people who plan kids. If your life's that structured, stay away from me. We're not going to get on. <laughs> a brand new show from the team behind Distinct Nostalgia. I'm Tim Vincent and each week I'll be joined by my fellow Likely Dads, Mick Ferry and Russell Kane, as well as a series of special guests to discuss different aspects of fatherhood. When a man has an urge to have a, a child, it's not spoken about much. Women sort of own this area. <laughs> We're sort of open it was going to be like the old films I watched where I'd just have a pipe and I'd be in a study. You just go, you're going to see your father now for 10 minutes. <laughs> Hello, children, what have you been up to today? I'm not interested. All right, off to bed. <laughs> An MIM production for BBC Radio 4. We hope you'll join us and subscribe to The Likely Dads on BBC Sounds. Dale, how the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Xavier and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong. Masculine. Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Listen here on the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or go to distinctnostalgia.com. we got to do something about your voice, kid. We're going to snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Uh, louder. Ah. Uh, louder. Uh. Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease and pretty soon thousands, maybe millions will die the same way and you know there was so many things weren't there, meeting each other at that point, you got the racism, you got the ostracization of her from her own community in, in many ways, she was with this Asian guy who was also uh, in a way ostracized from his own community as well and you know there's the age thing as well you know, new modern era coming up and you know, mum and dad aren't quite used to that and you know the kids are sort of pushing at that uh, uh, boundary a bit you know there's so many different things and obviously the gay side of things as well which clashes of course with the religious side of things you know there's loads of it there, it's a real melting pot when you think about it. And you can take it as seriously or as lightly as you like really and people do Some, and many people have said to me that's the funniest film I've ever seen and then you think well 
uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. And there are some really sad bits, you know, but it's, you know, it's up to you what you see in it. And probably one of the very few films where the issue of male circumcision is at the very heart of it, really. <laughs> I know. He didn't sort of back off anything, really, did he? <laughs> but that's how you He's um He's a force to be reckoned with, he is. <laughs> and, of course, the little boy that played him didn't carry on in acting, did he? He became an accountant in uh, in West Yorkshire. Yes, yeah, yeah. no, he got a proper job, he did, yeah. But, I mean, for the rest of you, you all went on to have amazing careers and, and I mean, you're doing exceptionally well. You've been uh, in America for, for a while, haven't you? Is uh, some of that success down to East is East, do you think? I wouldn't say it's down to East is East, but I would say, I mean, I've been doing, I've been doing this job for... 40-something years. I mean, I started at 16 at the Library Theatre before I went to, in Manchester, before I went to drama school. And for many, many years, I did lots of rep because there was tons of rep in those days. I was very lucky. So I fished around. I was, you know, Oldham and Manchester and Derby and Leicester and Nottingham and Birmingham and da-da-da-da-da, which actually is so sad saying that because... Now we're watching theatres closing almost daily. It's flipping heartbreaking. But I was lucky enough to, to, to live in that era. So for many years, that's how I earned my living. So I wasn't well known, but I was, I was felt I was doing all right because I could make a living at it. Not a huge living, but enough to keep going. And as a woman, you know, a female in, an, in, a, in a, a job where there's many more parts for men, I thought that was pretty okay. And then, as you look back, you go, oh, there was a certain little jobs that pushed you a little bit further into the to the limelight, and East is East is definitely one of those. So I would say those came every few years. So I got East is East, and then people kind of remembered that one. And then in the theatre sense, I went and did Mamma Mia in the West End. I was in the second and third year of Mamma Mia. That's a different audience altogether, of course, but that put me in a diff- put me in a different place. For the musical theatre world, if you like, and then you do, you know, silly little things that people remember, like Blackadder. I did one episode, but because I said, "You mean you crap out of the window?" People remember that. <laughs> I seem to be known for swearing. Let's be honest, that's all I'm known for. Um, and so that those things come, and then and then you carry on, and then of course, Downton Abbey was the big one for me, and um, that happened very late on, you know, in my fifties. So that's encouraging. And now, of course, as I said, you're in America. Are you living there? I'm in America and I'm coming back. You've been living and working there, have you? been living and working here for five years. Uh, and three years before that, when we were doing Downton, I would come for the winters. So, yes, I've, I've been working here and, in, and back in England. And how have you found it? How have you found America? Um, I'm really glad I came because it, it was meant to be an adventure and it has been, but it's not home. And I think particularly what's happening now in the world, you know, with the pandemic, with the instability that's happening here, and I know it is at home as well. You want to be with your own people. I mean, your friends, your close people, you want to be at home. And I still have a manager here, and I will still likely as not work here. But for me, it was always kind of a temporary thing, just to have a look, because we could, because we, you know, we, we, we don't have kids and um, and we, we have the freedom to to come and have a little adventure and that's what it's been as far as I'm concerned but it's it's well worth living in another country I think because it's you know you get a different a, a broader view of what the world is really 
And, and what do you think about Hollywood? I mean, as a place for actors and British actors in particular, you know, what do you think of it? Because a lot of British actors go there and they're successful, but we we don't tend to hear about them much um, after that. You know, I was talking to um, some of the This Life actors, and of course, uh, Jack Davenport uh, went over to America and has done very well. Um, but you don't really hear much about him i presume people just get lost in the american world but we don't in britain sort of seem to celebrate those actors i don't know why and and of course it was the same with the history boys some of the history boys have done very well i mean james corden of course people over here know and know that he's been successful in america but others you don't you don't really hear about yes i suppose so if you get onto a big american series like andrew lincoln for instance did walking dead i mean that that will take seven years of your life or, or there's another actor whose name is escaping me, who's on Once Upon a Time, which they film in Canada. I did, I did an episode of that. Um, he's a, he was a well-known actor in England. Well, he's been in Canada for the last, I don't know how many years, probably 10. He's got a family, he moved his family there. It looks like he fell off the twig, but he didn't. He's been doing a, re, you know, a recurring role on a big TV series, probably making a very good living. It's just that unless you see that show on some bizarre network in England, you don't know where he is or what's happened to him. But he's actually been doing very well. It's just that he's not in England and he's not on the, the TV there. Uh, but, you know, I've got um, friends who've uh, um, been over to America doing various jobs and things, you know, in, in the entertainment world. And then they've come back to Britain and it's been a real struggle to find work again because the obviously you know however much they've been working really hard over in the states it's just no known about they've got to sort of reinvent themselves and reintroduce themselves again it's uh, it's bizarre really well i mean i've well what has been lucky is that for instance in 2018 i don't think i worked here at all because i did a play at the donmar in london then i flew to canada to do miss hannigan in annie then i came home for a about six weeks. Then I came back to England to do Beecham House, the, the TV drama. And at the same time, I was doing Downton Abbey, the movie. And I went to India three times. So I was bob bobbing to and fro. So, so no, I didn't do anything here at all. I did some voice work because I have done quite a lot of... I do animation. They, I do sort of stupid English women. That's I've called them a niche in that. But, but mainly I was abroad. And that's the thing about actors is you're usually carrying a suitcase going somewhere. It's very rare to be living and working from home. I mean, it's that's why, to be honest, Downton Abbey was a complete blooming joy because I lived in West London and we filmed it in West London. So for six years, I was about 15 minutes from work. So, the, you know, even if you had the first call in the morning, you wouldn't be there before 6.30. And if you came home at night, you'd be home by 7.30 latest. So um, that's really, I can't tell you how much that's, a treat because that's barely ever happens just returning back to easter's east um finally um you know it took up a lot of time in your life uh, the theater production and of course the film etc but when you look back at it how do you see it i presume you see it fairly affectionately well i know you see it fairly affectionately but how does it fit into your your story how important was it doing easter's east what does it mean to you I, you know you've just reminded me because it did take several years because i've just had a little memory of linda a lovely memory of linda um linda bassett because after we done the play then we did the movie and then a few years later the director of the original play said to me i'd like to do the play again and i'd like you to play the mother this time 
And I said, oh, that's fantastic, because Ella's a wonderful part. And I thought, well, now there's enough time. That's fine. I mean, Linda was absolutely brilliant. There's been a, been, been a gap. It's probably, and we did it at Oldham Coliseum, actually. And I've just had a lovely memory. Again, funnily enough, that was another family I gathered. And my eldest son, Abdul, was the actor Raza Jaffrey, who lives here now and has gone on to do incredibly well and is still one of my closest friends. So that's how I met Raza. And in fact, through that, Raza came and we got him introduced to people at Mamma Mia and he joined the second year that I was in Mamma Mia. So it's all kind of, it feels like a strong family. And I remember, I think it was the winter, and I remember Linda drove all the way from Kent to Oldham to, to see me play Ella and was very generous and kind. And that's how it is, you know, that there's just strong relationships and... So it's it's just the cherry on the cake when you have a brilliant piece of work to do, surrounded by a brilliant group of people. That's about as good as it gets, and that is what East is East would be to me. So all roads lead back to East is East, basically, in a way. <laughs> well, it's a road I'm very glad to have been on in many, many ways, yeah, for sure. So thank you, Leslie. It's been fantastic to talk to you about your memories of East is East uh, 21 years ago, in fact, more than 21 years ago, because, of course, uh, the theatre production as well. Uh, it'd be great to hear your memories. Good luck with the uh, move back to the UK, and uh, I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you again. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and our celebration of East is East at 21 concludes next time as we speak to Chris Bisson, who played Salim Khan. It wasn't Chinese whispers, it was Chinese shouts, <laughs> or Indian shouts. And somebody went, on Paris! And somebody else turned around and went, on Paris! And then it went, doom, on Paris, on Paris, on Paris, on Paris! Down the road, onto the main road, to the point at which then people started stopping their cars in the middle of the dual carriageway and just got out of the cars. And it just became this huge mob of people going, on Paris, on Paris, where is he? And it just caused chaos. That's Chris Bisson, coming soon to Distinct Nostalgia. And don't forget, you can still hear our interview with Linda Bassett, who played Ella. You can find the interview by scrolling through our vast treasure trove at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.